unfiltered, uncensored, and unapologetic. This is the Retail War Zone Podcast. Tonight, we have Courtney with us. Going to let her tell us a little bit about herself, um, you know, what she does in music. You know, I'd posted on Facebook and I'd posted on Twitter that this isn't going to be like, you know, the hip-hop industry or the rock industry against retail, you know, because this is coming from an orchestral side. Um, and what you're going to find out here very shortly is it's not really too much different than what we deal with in the retail industry. And the good thing about Courtney is she's done both. She works retail and she's working towards being a professional musician. So having said that, Courtney, welcome. Uh, give us the brief rundown. Hi, y'all. Happy to be here. Um, so I currently work as a coordinator, front ends coordinator person. So like not quite a manager, but not quite an associate at a department store. I've worked some form of retail on and off for what, like eight years now, give or take. And I am currently pursuing a music degree at a local university. I have also spent time studying music in some capacity at both a major state school in my area and a not-to-be-named <laughs> Ivy League-ish level school in the South. And it's all very different environments, but the big point of today is just it really comes down to people liking you and not necessarily how good you are at your job, which has pros and cons. And people needing you for a service or choosing to listen to you play your music that they are paying for, but still looking down on you because you chose to do the thing that they're asking for. I don't know if that makes sense, but yes, I, yeah. I understand. There's a kind of people look down on you while asking you to help them and lots of nepotism depending on what part of retail you're in, that can be a thing too. But lots of parallels between the two. I think the one thing you hit on is, uh, you know, about people looking down at people who are really trying to pursue music. You know, I think it goes back to the, the old adage, the starving artist, so to speak. Exactly. And like, I'm, I'm at the point in my life, I've done a lot of, just sitting with myself and realizing at this point, I think I will be happier if I have a quote unquote day job or something that I don't absolutely hate, but doesn't suck all my energy out. So I have that creative energy to make music on my own terms. Right. My experience with my current workplace and many of the retail places I have worked it's a big energy vampire and it's there's all like what is it called like emotional labor of mm -hmm. like putting on the cute little chipper face of like yes ma'am I am teaching you how to insert a credit card into a machine in the year of our lord 2022 you've had a lot of time to figure that out Yes, I am telling you what a receipt is and how to read that, no, this is not from the past month. And it's just so much energy goes into things that I feel aren't necessary. I like working with people. I am an extroverted person, but I am bad at dealing with stupidity. Not even stupidity, ignorance. Yep. And that is, especially as I'm a front end person, that is a lot of what I do. And it's now that I'm not a manager, but not an associate either, people just put the stuff that they don't want to do onto me because I have some authority, but at the same time, I'm still ha -ha, like, we're going to make you do it because we don't want to. You're and the convenient you know, scapegoat. Exactly. And it's frustrating. And I'm, my philosophy is 
do the bare minimum you need to get paid until it affects your coworkers. Because once you're once you being stupid and not doing your job makes me have to do more, that's where it's not cool. But if you're just gonna do what your job description says and just ring that thing and make sure you're asking for the credit card every time, a okay up until you're making my life harder. Yes. And agreed. Yeah, I'm just like when I'm walking back from the break room, I like pick up the like clothes that are on the floor or like flung over the racks and bring in a front where I'm hanging stuff anyway. And I'm like, okay, like I'm making the collective effort of keeping the store running. I've only been at this current position. I worked with the parent company for like two and a half years now, but I've only been at this current position with this location for six or so months. And when you get hired, everyone's all like, oh, we love new ideas. We want like a new way to like approach things. And then as soon as you recommend something, they're like, oh, we don't do that here. Yeah. As we discussed before we went live, I am fully aware of what you're dealing with. Um, And the other part with that position that you're in, you know, because there's several in in the store over different departments. You're also basically... um, there to clean up the public's mess because they can't hang clothes up properly they cannot um put things away and in that particular business i learned that it had nothing to do with social status because all the customer base did the same thing and it, it it was a horrible experience, but you know the coordinators. It, it's a it's a cleanup crew. I had a customer the other day, so I was in the area in front of the register with all the stupid things you don't need, and I was like picking up all the stuff that people just ditched and changed their minds about. Which like, bro, you're ten feet from the register. Just give it to me. But whatever, I'm picking it up, and this guy was like, "Wow, I used to have to do that at my retail job. It sucked." And I was like, "Yeah." And then he's like, yeah, but I don't have to do that. And then he drops his shirt on the floor. Doesn't even hand it to me. Just drops it on the floor. And I'm like, I am a disposable person to you. Like, at least it's one thing to just, like, rant to me about, like, yeah, that sucks. And I'm like, haha, yeah, I can't really say anything because I'm on the clock. But... People just look down on you, but then they're like, oh, no one wants to work. Everyone's so lazy now. But at the same time, they shit on these people with these jobs. And, like, I know I like problem solving. I am a smart person. That is one aspect of retail I like. I like finding the little Tetris to fit all your stuff in the bag. I like finding, like, the perfect, like, display. There's certain parts of it that I enjoy the puzzle. But... Sometimes people just look down on you. I know I am a smart, capable person. I have, I'm not going to spew my like GPA and my whole resume of academic and music stuff here, but like I can do things. I just work a job to make money. And apparently people get upset over that. Yes, they do. So let let me, let's kind of get into the music thing. Yeah. Um, All right. So what's your primary instrument? So I'm primarily a flutist. Mm -hmm. I was previously on a music education track, which in my state, you have to learn a little bit of all like the instruments and stuff you play in school. So I am proficient on many instruments, but I'm primarily a flutist. That's most of what I play, get gigs on, teach, all that stuff. I am no longer pursuing a music ed certification. Might happen in the future. Don't know. But in a couple months, I will be graduating with a bachelor's music degree. To be determined what I will do with it. But, yeah, I've been very active in many different parts of the music world and many parts of the retail world. I have a lot of experience. So, with... I'm curious because I don't know, you know, how like 
like let's just say like the Philharmonic. Now, from a musician standpoint, and like you know the the classical music realm and you know orchestral, is it similar to like getting jobs? Like, do they look to see if you have a music degree and what level music degree that you have, in in order to even maybe give you the opportunity to audition? So it really depends. The thing is, classical music is one of those things that largely functions within academia. Because, like, people nowadays are, like, writing whatever music, making whatever music they want, but they need someone to fund that. And schools are big places of, yay, we will show we care about the arts at least a little bit and hire you and make money. And we know students will pay money to learn those things. So a lot of it's centered through academic institutions. To get like a tenure track academic job, yes, you need those degrees. There are certain situations, once in a blue moon, there's someone, like I have a friend who just won a flute position with the Rochester Philharmonic. He's not even done with his bachelor's. Like that, oh, wow. it happens once in a while. And to get those, but it kind of feeds off of like you build your resume, more people want to work with you. And it's very like networky. They have been making more of a move across the industry to do more blind auditions and kinds of things. But most of the time to get a seat in an orchestra, you will have a trial period of like a month or two. Because being in orchestral and classical music it's a lot of how you work you have to be able to respond to like the music director the conductor in front of you you have to be able to respond to the rest of the orchestra like all the other sections and like function within the section and like know your place there's like a hierarchy wow just like retail correct <laughs> but yeah you have to a lot of it matters in how you work with other people there are many people who, for various reasons, a lot of the time rich parents um, are very talented and get these jobs. But you know in the industry who sucks to work with. Right. Now, that, that brings up another question I had about this. I was thinking before, you know, well, we started doing this. Um, I can foresee uh, a very similar instance of, like, pay to play, I guess. And, very much so. And very much so. I, I foresee people that pursue this kind of music that maybe really don't want to, and the parents have pushed them into kind of like I'm assuming there are parents out there within that field that are similar to the parents that were on like toddlers and, and tiaras. Very much so. So the thing is, it's it's still hard to get into a music school. Like, don't get me wrong. There is a certain level of like, compared to other college things, like you could be like, I want to go to school for engineering and have never engineered in your life. With music, you have to audition to get into those schools, which mm -hmm. implies like a basic level of knowledge, which is still very high. Like you have to be like functioning at the top of, I'm, in my area, I was big on the whole, like, all-state band, woohoo kind of thing, because my area is big on that. Mm -hmm. But you have to already kind of have all these resources, have the lessons, be able to afford a nice instrument. I got a nice instrument instead of a car for my 16th birthday. I'm lucky I live in a family that can afford that. But it was tough. Like, that was a big deal, and I helped raise money for it. And that was kind of my entry into the industry like there's a certain point where you need the physical tools to do it and a lot of getting stuff on your resume is paying to go to these super expensive summer festivals where you play with the like new york phil or whoever or like paying for lessons with these fancy big names or like just kind of like rubbing shoulders with other people but yeah. It's, it seems it seems very clicky. It is very and, clicky, and I understand you know the cost of of the instrument because you know I I'm have dealt with musicians and whatnot in the last go around that I was management for a music store. We sold 
brass and woodwind and string and all that other stuff. And, you know, when you start looking at that and you start, you know, seeing the price tags, you know, on top of that, you've got like a lot of parents out there who have kids who are extremely talented, but they just can't, they can't afford it. It happens all the time. Like I was luckily, my parents, I still live with my parents. We were better off financially when I was like pre going to college and stuff. And I could somewhat afford like to keep my head above the water and make all this stuff. But to get into like the, the Juilliards, the New England conservatories, the Berkeleys, all the fancy stuff, like that's a whole nother level. That's, and there's a certain point where you can't just practice your heart out and get better. You need the lessons, you need access to the education, you need people to listen to you and give you feedback. You need a functioning instrument. Like it's a big entry fee to get even into those schools. And then there's the whole paying for college and whatever that comes along with that. And a lot of people, they go to college for music, they realize, damn, doing, putting my entire, like, life and personality into this is freaking exhausting, which it is, and... I mean, mu- music is a mentally cha- challenging thing. There's yes. a lot of people who are not musicians. All right, so so I play guitar and, and stuff like that. I can't read music and, and, you know, I've never studied music theory, but people don't understand that when you cross into that level of really when you get into like, you know, the orchestral side of things, that takes, I mean, yeah, sure, you've got some great players out there that can just pick it up and go. But for most people, the amount of education it takes and the amount of practice and the amount of learning and the amount of, you know, uh, honing techniques and whatnot, people do not understand the amount of stress that is because what you guys have to learn is a lot. I mean, it is a lot. It's just, I think of it at this point in my life, a lot like kids who are like football recruits for like big colleges and stuff. You don't walk in and be like, Oh, I want to learn football when, and like get a scholarship for like, no, you have to have built up the talent, the skills, over years and then you get an opportunity to play on the team or in this case play in the orchestra and you might not be the like star of the show at first and you have to kind of like pay your dues but if you came from like middle of no well middle of nowhere places seem to also like football but if you came from a middle of nowhere place that doesn't have like that athletic program, the coaches, the like stuff like that, you can't even get your foot in the door. And like, I like the amount of time that I spent working retail jobs and stupid things in like high school, college. Now that's time. I'm not spending practicing my instrument. That's time. I'm not spending studying music history, music theory, that kind of thing. Which brings I, up, would, not to interrupt, what you just yeah. said, uh, Irish Connection had asked a question in the chat saying, how does the unpredictable hours in retail affect your ability to practice music outside of work? It's tough. I, so I struggle with a sleep disorder on top of all this stuff. So I really have to prioritize making sure I'm sleeping Yeah, there's some audio drops that are happening. I don't know if it's because of the storms in the area or whatnot. She'll be back. So, but yeah, you know, for everybody that, you know, doesn't understand that side of the music business, man, that that's tough. I mean, I, I, I look at, you know, that kind of music would be the equivalent of like high-end math. So, you back with us, Courtney? Yes. All right, I don't continue. know if you hear me. Yep. Okay. Where were we? All the, yeah, the time I spent at like jobs and stuff is time I spent not practicing. I, especially with the school schedule and the fact that I'm still mostly playing within like academic stuff where I could plan ahead. 
it works. But right now I'm balancing. I also work for like a local music school to teach like kids and adults who want lessons. And it's a balance of like prioritizing stuff for the industry I want to go into versus if I piss off my retail manager and I'm like, oh, I can only work these days now. And then they cut my hours in the future when I have more bills and more stuff to do. And like, it's a constant, you don't really know what's coming. (laughs) Right. But I, one thing I do appreciate about still being in school is a lot of music departments have dedicated practice rooms, sort of like study rooms, like what you would think of that in like the library with like a piano and whatever. And those are at my current school open 24 hours a day, as long as you sign it out and all that stuff. But it's tough. I try to schedule it at the beginning of the week and have a plan. But sometimes a gig pops up. Sometimes I called into work. Sometimes things happen. And the other thing people don't really understand, and I could be wrong. I don't know if there's any kind of like professional mute or something, but like with a lot of the instruments that you're around, that's not something that you can like put headphones on and do, right? Yeah. Like, I I don't know if you are familiar with the piccolo, which is like super high flute way up there. Like, my parents set me a curfew (laughs) for practicing when I was younger. And, but it's tough. You have to plan ahead. I fortunately live in an actual house, not like an apartment. I still live with my parents and family members and extended family. And they like... The aliens have took over. There they are. The aliens are here for the music. So, we'll let that resolve itself. Like I said, I don't know if it's network issues or whatnot. But, uh, real quick. There you are. I'm good? Okay. Yeah, I currently live with extended family who, like, know this is what I do. But I'm looking to move out within the next year or two. I don't even know. Now we're in a recession. Everything's crazy. But I would like to move out, but I have to take into account, like, people who can tolerate me making loud, not always pretty sounds. Right. (laughs) And it's, or a lot, like, scales and stuff. Like, if you think you're tired of hearing the same, then I am too. Right. But, um... Yeah, I currently, I'm still pretty early in my career. I have access to, like, academic institutions and, like, physical places, and I live with family. Don't really know what that's going to look like in the future. So, do you have any aspiration to play professionally, or are you looking more towards the educational route? I am still figuring that out. I don't remember what I said before we went live or not, but I graduate with a bachelor's of music in December. I used, like, when I started college, I was go, go, go. I'm going to be, like, principal flute of the Berlin Philharmonic or whatever. And as I've gotten older and spent more time, like, music industry in the thick of it or adjacent, I realized that's just not really sustainable for me. And I would have to spend all my creative energy on what will make me money and not necessarily what I want to do. I think music will always be an important part of my life and I will always be doing it in some capacity. But at this point in my life, I'm like, "Mm, it might be nicer to have a day job that I could just like clock in, clock out. And be able to make art on my own terms in the way that I want on my own time. And it's exhausting to keep auditioning for every opening that happens. Like, you can swing a dead cat in my 
urban area and hit a professional flutist with like three music degrees. And it's competitive out there. It's hard. And not that I'm not cut out for it artistically. I think if I put the time in and energy in, I could be on the like talent level and skills level of doing that. But it's all the networking and all the putting yourself out there over and over to rejections and all that stuff that I'm just not interested in at this point. Politics. So I'm not really sure, but... The politics of the industry. It's a very political thing, especially with like the whole Me Too movement a couple of years ago. People are finally speaking out of like, hey, some of these people do really shitty things and get away with it because musicians are trying to get jobs. And it's still like you still know the names of who to avoid. And like I've been at three different colleges now and every single one. You know the creepy professor who you don't want to spend an office hour alone with. Right. And the music world, especially since it's like a passion career, like people will do anything to just be able to do what they love, including things they shouldn't do. Things. Yeah. And it's and that, tough. And that's where that ties in with all of entertainment because we obviously see it in, you know, the movie industry. Um, and then when you look at the other side of the music industry, you know, your, your pop music, your hip hop, your rock and all that stuff, it's rampant. I mean, and I don't know how much of it really happens in, you know, the classical world, but you know, there's been a seismic shift in music probably since the late eighties where it kind of goes along with what you're talking about. It's not necessarily how good you are. Uh, it's who, you know, and now we're in a time in music where you know, artists are products now. So you have people out there with the advent of like auto-tune and things like that who, who really can't sing, but they have an image or they look a certain way and they can be marketed. And yet you have brilliantly talented musicians out there who will never get a shot because they don't fit that mold. Now, is there anything really kind of like that on your side? For sure. The... I kept auditioning and didn't win anything. So now I'm going to become a life coach pipeline with classical musicians is a little too real. <laughs> and, um, but especially for like the classical side of things, it becomes, how can I make money? Which usually means freelancing, which usually means having like a brand and, I'm of the, I'm like a little old for TikTok, but like I'm in like peak Instagram, like age group, I guess. Right. <laughs> and a, a lot of it's like everyone has their little professional website and their little professional like social media accounts of like, wow, look at all this cool stuff I'm doing. I totally didn't go into a ridiculous amount of credit card debt to afford this like music festival or opportunity or I totally didn't have mommy and daddy help me pay to like fly out to wherever and play this concert. Like it's, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that everyone knows about, but it isn't as openly, it's getting better than it used to be, but it's still not as openly talked about as I think it should be. I am making peace with the fact that yeah i work a job to have money to live like that's it's not shameful to have to have money to exist and necessarily do stuff outside of like what i got i'm getting my degree in and that kind of thing right now i'm from the hierarchy of let's say going to like a a major symphony or whatnot who does the hiring for that is it the conductor or there is there like a, a board of people that it's a team the music directors tend to have like music director meaning usually conductor has the most say there's also like i'm the flute which is the woodwind a woodwind instrument so that's made up of flute clarinet oboe bassoon you don't have to know all those but like those are the main people you're working with so those are I have the conductor, 
then the woodwind section, which is four different instruments. And then within each of those instruments, there's the principal. So like first chair, they get all the solos. Then there's a second who they play like the supporting harmonies and stuff, but they kind of follow what the principal's doing. And then a third or like a the extra like piccolo or like the random weird flute like instrument things that like you play all the extra stuff and there's a hierarchy within the sections but it's a team of people like it's not just like the conductor being like boom i like this person and you also usually have a trial period after auditions where you like are there with the orchestra in concerts like performing and they decide if they want to hire you like contract do you get forever. paid for that Yes, okay. it depends. It depends on the, because the thing is, we all like to think of like the New York Philharmonic, which is like, what, three concerts a week, something like that. Like, there's a lot of like regional places that do like once a month concerts and they have like a decent stipend, but they don't like it's not as regular stuff. Like, you have to kind of build your calendar around what, like, for example, like Christmas, there's like the Nutcracker ballet season. Like, that's all you freaking play. And, or, like, the Handel Messiah during Christmas. Like, there's certain things that you, like, know when they're going to be played and what the situation is. Or, like, the cute little, like, outdoor concerts in the parks during the summer in places with nice weather. But, um, yeah, you kind of have to build a calendar and plan ahead. It's... It's a freelancy life, but also not <laughs> kind of different for everyone. Right now. So going back to what we were talking about earlier about like the, the creepy people. So I'm assuming out there in the industry, you have directors that are doing the same things as like the sleazy music execs do. Oh, you really want to be part of this. You need to do this thing. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's. That's, that's just a shame. Yeah, it's in every industry at this point, and it's really frustrating, especially, like, I'm still very much in the academic side, and a lot of people who are good performers and have the degrees in hand, they'll choose to get jobs at a university because it's steady paying. Now you can't rely on having a gig every week unless you're in an orchestra, and those jobs are not super easy to get, and there's not that many of them. So a lot of musicians choose to get more advanced degrees so they can teach at universities and i've studied at three different universities every single one within the past five years a professor or person i worked directly with who was ranked above me was arrested or investigated by title nine like publicly wow freaking weird like every single school i've been to like one time i posted something online about like title nine and whatever and my friend was like oh which college was that i'm like you're gonna have to be more specific every every place has its creeps and, and and you know that's a good correlation with retail too because for instance in what you're doing in college or whatnot you have people preying on people's passion or you know like you said they'll do anything to make it they'll do anything to get where they want to get and you've got those kind of people and then in retail you have managers who are exploiting people not necessarily because they want to do everything in the store they just need to work so in a lot of ways it's very similar um you know there's an exploitation there the problem it's less of a problem in the music world, but I've noticed in the store I currently work at, people who are trained in more things and more versatile, so they could do like registers, they could do fitting room, they could do the floor, they could do the stock room, are going to be pushed and pulled around more and handed shittier stuff to do that day because they can, versus like Joe Schmo who can barely type in... $20 into the register like since they're bad at their job Joe Schmo is not going 
to get as many hours and stuff, which is sometimes good, but it sucks that, hey, I get paid the same as this guy who has no idea what the heck he's doing, and guess what? We both make minimum. (laughs) Well, also to that point now, there are situations in, in businesses, and I'm sure you've seen it, where, and this goes back to what you were talking about, the networking and knowing people. We all have known employees and buildings we've been in who didn't need to be there, but because they knew somebody or you know we're tight with the boss they just turned a blind eye to it and let it go yeah it's a lot of like people so many managers i've worked with let it get to their head and i'm like i'm happy you're happy with your life but ma'am you run one location of a corporate retail store. Like you are not the president of the United States. You are not Beyonce. Like you, it's okay. Like you don't have to think so highly of yourself. And it kind of comes to that sometimes with orchestras too, because it's like not every position is open all the time. This guy who won the principal flute audition 20 years ago, Maybe this youngin who's auditioning for second flute is significantly better than him, but there wasn't an opening. Like they just don't have that option to try for that job. And you have to listen to these people who are above you and they don't necessarily always know what they're doing, especially in the music industry with lots of nepotism, lots of pay your way kind of stuff. And just because somebody is aspiring to make a living off of music and can't do it, that says nothing necessarily about their artistic talent. There's so many other skills that go into making a living out of it. And a lot of it's networking, marketing, doing your own finance, like all this stuff. And all that stuff takes away time from actually learning your instrument and how to be better. And people who can afford to pay other people to do all that stuff can spend more time getting better at their instrument. It's not just a matter of like, they, I'm rich, I can afford a nice instrument. It's a matter of you can afford to have the time to get better at it. You know, one thing that you said, you know, talking about it might be better to have a day job and then, you know, create, you know, be creative on your own terms. You know, one thing now, don't get me wrong. I mean, obviously there's a push behind it, but I mean, there has been over the past five to 10 years where you see some artists come out that may come from that background that are having some moderate success, maybe kind of putting a spin, you know, on on the traditional sense. A great example would be uh, Lindsey Sterling. Okay. Obviously, yeah. obviously there's some push behind that, you know, and she was on the, what was it? America's got talent or something like that. I don't remember what it yeah. was, but you take something like that, that, you know, uh, it takes a lot of talent to play like that. I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, but to be able to put a creative spin on it and make it work within something mainstream, you know, at least those options are there. And, you know, I, I like the idea that, you know, you're of the mindset that, Hey, maybe I can create on my own. And, and and do my own thing. And if that brings you happiness, you know, like you said, if you get a job, you just clock in and out and, and there's your money, your guaranteed money. It does allow you the, the freedom of expression to try something different. Yeah. Like, like Lindsay Sterling, for example, like in the end, the music industry is part of the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. You are performing Well, you are making money when you perform for other people and people will choose to be in your audience if they like what you do and are entertained by it. Lindsey Sterling, are there plenty of like violinists who could like play her socks off? Yes. But she knows how to put on a show. She knows Mm -hmm. how to make sure her audience is having a good time. Like same with Lizzo. Lizzo is a classically trained flutist. She knows what she's doing. But she knows how to put on a show and have a good time and have her audience have a good time. And if that's what you want to do, that's great. Not everyone wants to like cater to what will make them money all the time. There's no shame in it. Lizzo loves what she does. Lindsey Sterling seems to be really happy with what she's doing but if your interests don't align with what makes money 
you're kind of screwed. <laughs> and I don't know. It's I, just, I, I do see, unfortunately, you know, talking about all the nepotism and how hard it is to get into those positions. I mean, I can see we're teaching and I'm, I don't mean like necessarily teaching at like a school, but like when you were saying giving lessons and stuff like that, I, that seems to be a pretty, um, I'm not going to say exactly lucrative, but if you're in a good market with people that are looking for lessons or whatnot, that's pretty sustainable. It is. The problem is that being good at your instrument and being able to explain that and teach that to other people are two different skill sets that not necessarily everybody has. I had a teacher within the past year, I will not name names, but um, has an awesome resume. I was so excited to work with him when I transferred to my current college. He was so busy with his performing career that he was gone for more than half the semester I didn't see him. He would be on his phone during our lessons. Like he wasn't there presently, but I was supposed to be quote unquote grateful to work with him because he has a great resume. He couldn't explain how to be good at your instrument. He just kind of did it. And I'm very passionate about finding how to communicate well with other people. Mm -hmm. And that's a big part of teaching. The yep. more I teach, the more I realize it's great to see other people get something after they've been trying for a hard time. It's great to see other people see the joy that I get in performing at a high level. And I really like teaching. Not every musician does. There's no problem with that. It's just that's one of those marketable skills. And the arts... It's a matter of both doing it for you in the, like people are always like, oh, I like the way it makes them feel to be performing. But we live in a capitalist society where you need to make money somehow. And it's easier to make money when other people like what you're doing. Talking about the money and talking about the arts, do you think that more can be done to prop up the arts? I think, I know in, I think it was Wales, I'm not sure, some European country recently set up a program that any, like, student between the, like, public school student between the ages of, like, 10 and 18 or something will have access to an instrument of their choice. Part of it's just having programs and having the opportunity, but it's also a cultural change of, like, like I was talking about before with like the way you treat a sports team at a high school, like hyping up kids in the same way. Cause they're doing the same thing. They're preparing for an event where they perform for other people. There's not really winning and losing in music, but it's still a live event. You don't know how it's going to go. You could prepare for it and practice for it and learn how to work with the people on your team. And there's a live event where you show what you worked on. It's, there's so many parallels between sports and music, and I think it's just a cultural change of music, the kind that K-12 schools can push, is just as valuable as, like, athletics and other things. And specifically in the school context, it's not just about the woohoo, we went to the concert, they played hot cross buns. When it's kids... It's a learning process. Like, a th like you learn in school, you're learning music. It changes the way you think. And all these people are like, oh, I want my kid to be on the soccer team so he can learn, like, teamwork and stuff. And that's great. They're also going to learn all the, like, athletic and, like, moving their body well stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's the same thing with music. You have the hard skills of, like, I can toot toot woohoo, here's Mozart. But you're learning how to work with other people. You're learning how to communicate. You're learning how to do all these other things and just tr giving music the same like respect, I guess, as other quote unquote, like extracurricular activities or hobbies well, or whatever. Well, you're right. So like it, when you look at something like the New York Philharmonic, I mean, how many, how many actual musicians are in that at one time playing live? hundred, give or take. A hundred, give or take. All right, so that's that sounds like a lot, but this is in New York City. Right, like what 
8 million plus people. Right. But we, when you're talking about having a large group of people playing different parts, different instruments, it is. I mean, that that is the like ultimate like teamwork experience because people don't understand how machine-like that really is. And so one person blows their part, oh, it can go yeah. south real bad. It's just like, I was talking about it before, but like the way like college football recruits, you can't just walk into a college and be like, hey, I want to be quarterback. Can you give me money for it? Like, no, that's something you train for over the course of years. It's little things you do every day that add up to a lot of talent. It's the same thing with music. There's an expectation to like, on the higher education level, you have to know the basic stuff to get your foot in the door and giving people access to programs and opportunities where they could lay the groundwork to have the option to pursue that if they choose. That's kind of where it starts. And the problem is I'm at the weird crux of like, was a music ed major, came from a strong music program in like K-12 schools, spent some time with some snobby conservatories and stuff. And a lot of the like super like woohoo, I'm concert master of the orchestra. They don't necessarily want to do that community like on the ground work of like playing instruments in kids' hands. That's not right. for everybody, but without people to sit through that recorder hot cross buns concert in middle of nowhere indiana or whatever then you will never have the new york phil the whatever like you you have to start somewhere and someone has to do that speaking of starting somewhere the question uh from hero was how do you feel about kids getting recorders do you think that is the the perfect option to get them acclimated to maybe that's something they want to pursue later on there is a lot of controversy i think it gets them reading music like notes on a page standard notation it gets them with the physical like fine motor skills of the finger stuff and like the breath control that comes with a lot of the instruments you'd be playing in like marching band come a couple years later. And it gets you accustomed to like working with other people to make music together. Like if one kid's just playing like, I don't know, Mary had a little lamb while everyone else is playing hot cross buns, everyone's going to be like, Hmm, something's up with that. Like that's yep. something you have to learn. And I'm a fan of it. I also really like working with kids in younger populations. That's not for everyone. That is okay. But you can't be like, oh my God, why does music suck now? And not invest in where people get started. Like going back to retail, like my current store, their goal is to hire, I think, five people a week for the next two months. But our training is kind of baptism by fire. Amen. I understand. I know. And then they're like, why do none of our associates know what the heck is happening? And it's like, ma'am, that is on you. You need to invest in creating good associates so you could have a strong like team. And it comes from where you start and onboarding and all that stuff. And that's, is that the five a week for X amount of months to um, prepare for quarter four? I don't even know at this point. I, 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 I just, think it is. It probably, because the thing is all of our college kids are going away. So they need to replace all those people who came home for the summer. And it's, I wouldn't say harder or easier, but it's different getting people to work during the school year. Like I know a lot of associates at my school also work in public schools during the day and then take closing shifts. And it's all this stuff. It's probably some, cause I know there, there's always going to be the holiday hires. We don't know what they're doing. 
But yes. if you don't invest in making your, sure your associates are prepared, they're not going to want to stick around because they don't know what's going on. Everyone treats them terribly because they don't know what's going on. And guess what? It's your fault for not Oh, yes. Them. Yes, yes, yes. Um, it, it's uh, that, that business there. Uh, the, the training was terrible. It was 100% a trial by fire. It was, let's hire everybody we could hire. And, you know, let's put them on a register with, you know, our quote-unquote lead cashier. And, bye, see you later. <laughs> that, that, that's really what it was. And then... To clarify, two, Steve and I both worked for the same parent company in different, like, locations and branches. Yep. But we both were familiar with the corporation. Yes. And, that we have in common. <laughs> and and it, it was terrible. And, you know, and then the same thing with... You, you get these these new cashiers or whatnot, and they've been there shadowing somebody for two weeks, and then some genius decides to yell at them, well, you haven't sold any credit cards. You didn't teach them how to. <laughs> some, I haven't. So, yes, um, we did work for the same company. Uh, we're not going to mention names. Um, there's somebody out there in the chat that should be very, very, very familiar. Um, I'll just say that, uh, credit cards should say all you really need to know. Um, but yeah, so you back with us? Yes. I had a awesome. Lit there. Yes. But yeah, the, you know, you didn't teach them how to sell a credit card, you know, and then, you know, what's even sadder is when you get like these 16, 17 year old kids, that might be their first job and they want to quote unquote work in, uh, I'll just use the term fashion. And, and they come in and all of a sudden, you know, they hate it because you're like, well, you know, you worked eight hours and, you know, you, you, you only got one credit card and the expectation is such and such. And they're looking at you like Google out, like, well, nobody showed me how to do it. You're lucky I got the one. And it's a matter of like you improve your pitch and working with customers by Yes, the pitch is important. Um, to add to that, remember, selling is the transference of enthusiasm. So that really helps in pitching credit cards and whatnot. So there she is. Talking about the pitch. Yeah, if you you learn how to interact with customers by doing it, but you have to know what you're selling. <laughs> Right. If you don't know the terms of our credit card, we are a credit card company before we are a merchandise and retail company. Then you're not going to be able to explain it and pitch it. I mean, think about that. Isn't, isn't that crazy? When you realized that working there, the fact that you, you called it right, they're a credit card company before a merchant band, that tells you what all is wrong. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's just sad. And the sheer amount of pressure we get for credit cards. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter how we did in sales that day. It's solely the credit card application. Every night when we close, I have to send an email to like three like regional people on how many cards we got. And that results in having to spend time on conference calls. And I'm like, I am not a fan of micromanaging. I think it's inefficient and it makes the people below you not trust you because you're showing you don't trust them by hovering over them and analyzing their every move. That's basically my job when we're low on cards. And so oh, you can't it, help it. <laughs> and the con constant barking and the earpiece. The earpiece. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yes you know okay so and so we need to get x amount of cards before four o'clock oh god oh god Welcome shoppers. don't forget to use your insert store rewards card on your purchase today for every 
blank amount of dollars you spent. I know the pitch like the back of my hand. I've said it accidentally picking up the phone like my personal cell phone before. It's so bad. Oh, yeah. It's it's terrible. And, you know, I if you're fairly new to the fray, if you go back to the YouTube and look or, or, or Spotify, very early on, like the first couple of months of doing this, I had an entire episode on credit cards. And, and why it sucks. Because I think that's the most terrible thing you can attach to an associate. And like we said, you know, before we came live, I hate the fact that you are judging employees on a metric that is 110% optional. You know, if you go through the pitch and the customer says no still, how can you be penalized for that? But they do. It's just so, and my store at least, the push has been like games of like, we're playing bingo this week, where if you get five cards, spell out bingo, you get a prize. It was like a little pop socket for your phone, like not even something good. And like, you get a cookie or a cupcake if you get a card today. You get a sticker on your name tag. I'm like, are we children? Are we literal children? The least they can do is give you money. I mean, like, you should get, My old location gave us a dollar out of the register, and then they stopped doing that because they said that was a loss prevention concern. I'm like, girl, (laughs) that was how I paid for the coffee to get through this frickin' shift. So. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, personally, I think it's a practice that should go away. I I really, really do. And it's, you know, you had said before, it's predatory. Um, it, It, honest to God, you know, you have people that are credit card champions, you know, and they get all these high numbers, knowing good and damn well, they're going to take advantage of the people that have no business getting a credit card. Exactly. A lot of these people just don't speak English well enough to understand. A lot of these people are young and don't really understand what having a credit card means. I've had like customers like flirting with underage cashiers. And the managers didn't outright say it, but they were like, well, if you get a card out of it, yeah, might as well deal with it. Like, that's really messed up. The, the, the biggest buyer beware story I can tell you with credit cards was when I was a manager for Guitar Center. We had a gentleman that came in the store a lot, right? And he never bought anything. And then one day, one of our sales guys went up to him and, and really pitched him on the Guitar Center credit card. At that point in time, if your credit was good, you were getting $3,000 out of the gate, right? So I, we see him talking to him, and we're like, oh, wow, he's actually buying something. Signs him up for the credit card, $3,000 limit, maxes it out on the spot. Because at Guitar Center, that was what they hoped for. Because once they got the money, they didn't care if you defaulted on the card because it wasn't their problem anymore. However, this dude buys $3,000 worth of stuff. A few hours later, his mother comes marching in. He had some mental issues. And, um, you know, I, I think she said, like, you know, his mental capacity. I mean, he, he said yes without even knowing what he was doing. He signed, you know, without even knowing just because the sales guy was telling him, hey, if you get this, you can take this stuff home if you like it, blah, blah, blah. And so it became this big thing. Um, the mother brought the, the instruments back and whatnot and you had to go through HSBC and get all that stuff canceled. But to me, at that moment in time, it shows how predatory that can be because you can, you can bait somebody into it. You know, this, this gentleman was still living with his mother. What if, you know, he had no idea that he had to pay it back. None. Didn't even have a job. And, you know, the company that we're talking about that you work for, they wouldn't care. <laughs> Get that they number. Don't get, once it goes to their parent, their like credit card branch company, they outsource the credit cards. Once it goes to that company, they're like, Whoop, I don't care. Just call them. There's a number on the back of your card. Your problem now. Bye. Right. And, and you, you can wreck people's credit like that. I mean, or like you said, the people that unfortunately, you know, they come shopping and they don't speak English. I mean, and, you know, somehow the cashier is conveying to them, well, hey, here's free money if you just do this thing. And boom, you know, and the company doesn't care. 
you know, and it, I, it's such a predatory thing. I hate it. I hate the credit card thing. Rewards cards are different. I'm okay with that if it actually, you know, offers a value. But my God, you know, can these companies quit pressuring cashiers to give, you know, expecting to give like a 15 minute speech on all these different things that they offer when the customer just really wants to get out the door. Sometimes it could genuinely save people money. And I've worked there long enough that I know when those situations are. Not I like some of it comes with experience of knowing when to be like, Hey, you could actually like save X number of dollars today plus earn X percent of rewards back and it adds up. But a lot of these cash, like, like I said, the company we are speaking about is a baptism by fire. You are just kind of thrown on there and hope you figure it out. And there's such a high expectation. And I'm in a state with a pretty good minimum wage, but it's still minimum wage. If you're going to, poorly train your associates and pay them minimum wage, especially in today's business market, they're going to find a minimum wage job that isn't so terrible. Most of them are because if you're under the philosophy of if I could pay this person less money, I would, but I'm paying as much as the state allows me to pay them this low. Correct. Then you're probably kind of questionable in the first place. But, like, it's I, wild. I, I feel your pain. I mean, like I said, I did it for a year, and, and that was it. I, no, <laughs> no. And, and as far as the credit card thing goes, I also worked for at home. And uh, it's, uh, oh, for a question in the chat, uh, they did file for bankruptcy, Johnny A, but they came out of it pretty quick, so they're still alive and kicking. Um, but when I was working for at home, credit cards were a big deal there, too. I mean, to the point that we had the credit cards went through synchrony and we had a synchrony rep who would come once a month and sit the store director down and be like, look, here's how you did. Here's how much you could have done. This is how much profit the store could have. Well, not the store. The company could have made. And it's just like, no, don't care. Don't care. To the point that, you know, I had to make it fun. You know, I shit you not. I came up with this damn thing. There was a rewards card and there was a credit card. And one was coffee and the other was donuts. And I had like these little certificates I printed out every single week. Whoever got the most. Horrible. And now I came up with that to try to make it amusing because it was kind of funny. Listen to everybody on the walkie talkie saying, hey, I got a donut. That made it fun. But. That's the only way I can make it bearable. But, I mean, it seriously was. I mean, we, you got lectured on that shit. I hated it. Hated it. I'm glad I don't have to deal with it anymore. I still do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're sitting at an hour three. I have enjoyed this greatly. I, I like the insight into the uh, the classical music world. You know, being a musician, I you know I love all things music, and I think it's really neat to kind of get some insight into that. And the parallels are there. I mean, they really are. I mean, you know, consider the director. You know, the the store manager. I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, I guess you would look at the entire orchestra as employees of the director, and it's very similar. And I don't think people would ever have looked at it that way. It's, the thing is, both with the arts and with retail, you got to make money somehow. And sometimes that involves you pushing things that you don't want to, but it gets butts and seats in the concert hall and it gets stuff in shopping carts. So, yeah. Nice. All right. So, what I'm going to do real quick is I'm going to throw this out there for everybody that doesn't know. Um, it's going to take at least a year to get this done. If you haven't paid attention on Twitter, um, Irish connection pitched an idea. And all of a sudden we talked about doing a retail war zone, uh, RPG video game. Um, so yeah, we're going to do that. And what's going to happen is all the different people that have been on the, um, the show, uh, you too as well, Courtney, you'll have some sort of music character in it. it as you go through the, the world of like an old school top down Zelda 
all the different people that have been on the show will be scattered. Uh, Proto, if you wind up watching this, I, I made sure to let everybody know you're going to be a wizard. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, that's it. Um, don't really know what I'm doing next week. Uh, we'll see. Who knows? Uh, actually, I think that I'm going to next week talk about shoplifting because there's been all this stuff in the news about, you know, employees, you know, trying to take matters in their own hands and whatnot. And and I just saw an article in New York. Uh, I think it was, they've got cans of spam now in anti-theft plastic cases. So it's getting bad out there. Just remember everybody, they're not stealing from you. That's not coming out of your bank account. Don't be stupid. This isn't the wild, wild west. So Courtney, thank you so much for being here. Um, if, you, if you come up with anything else, you know, music related or whatnot that, that maybe you didn't think of, you know, I got no problem doing this again. So you just let me know. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So everybody, uh, we will see you next week and everybody have a good night. Stay safe. Um, watch out for the monkey box later. Have a good one, y'all. Bye. Bye. <laughs>